Morning. Can we hear me? Good, good. You know, I, I think my son is right, not my son who's here with me this morning, uh, but my son Lucas. Yeah, when you crank the music up, it does sound better. Being right up here at the front by the speakers, I mean, I, I don't know what you thought, but I, I just thought worship this morning was incredible. So thank you so much, worship team, for that. And good morning to all of you. I'm so excited to be here in person with you, to be able to share God's word with you. And uh, just a word to the people that will be listening online later on. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and staying connected with what's happening here at church. I hope my words this morning will be an encouragement to all of you here and all of those listening online this morning. As Brian mentioned, I'm starting a series uh, with different people that are coming to speak about prayer uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, they're going to be talking through their own experiences, their own insights on the subject with the goal of trying to encourage you uh, in your uh, prayer life and maybe give you some new ideas to think about. So I think it would be fitting since uh, I'm preaching on prayer or talking about prayer today that we would open in prayer. So let us pray. Lord God, I pray for your strength and wisdom this morning to speak the words you want me to speak. I also pray for everyone listening that you will still their hearts and minds so that they can hear your voice clearly and be blessed by this time together in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's, uh, let's get started. Um, what is prayer? So I just challenge you to think about it for a moment. We all have different preconceived ideas on what prayer is. A couple of years ago, a local author named Jared Brock wrote a very interesting book on prayer. It's called A Year of Living Prayerfully. And in this book, he travels around the world and uh, uh, explores how different people pray. So he had an experience play, praying in Greece. Sorry about the feedback there. Hopefully we'll get that sorted out in a moment. Um, so he had a chance to pray with monks in Greece who would get up at four in the morning and pray for four hours continuously. They even had a bracelet with knots on it that they would follow their progress. And when Jared was there, he was thinking, when do you have a chance to listen to God's voice? But then he also was in the eastern United States on this year uh, off, or not year off, but this year of traveling, and, uh, and prayed with the Quakers. And he sat in a humble church building, waiting for hours, not saying a word, listening for God's voice, wondering, when, when do I get to say something? Uh, he also traveled to Spain and was able to, uh, I want to make sure I get the words right here, hike the Camino de Santiago, a 490-mile pilgrimage across Spain. He didn't hike the whole thing himself. Uh, but, he, but he was able to pray publicly as he walked along. And then he also went to England among his many adventures and visited the house of John Wesley. And in John Wesley's house, his 18th century house, he was able to kneel down and pray in the very spot where John Wesley prayed for revival for England and the world back in the 1700s. Um, so he was able to explore many different ways that people prayed, and uh, you know, I recommend the book. It's very informative, and it's very entertaining to read. But unlike Jared's book this morning, I don't want to explore how to pray, but more the reason why to pray. And to get started on that topic, I want to go to the definition of prayer in the Merriam-Webster 
dictionary because there's some very interesting points that they make there. First off, it says that prayer is an address such as a petition to God or a God in word or in thought. Uh, Second definition that it offers is that prayer is an earnest request or wish. And then finally, and kind of interestingly, the third definition is prayer means a slight chance. So I think we'd all agree that uh, prayer isn't addressed to God in word or in thought. We've probably all, most of us, at some point have either prayed uh, thoughts to God or we've spoken them out loud audibly. So I think we'd agree with that part of the definition. Uh, An earnest request or wish, yes, when we have needs, uh, when there's difficult times in our lives, we definitely come to God and present these needs uh, to God. So that makes sense as well. And then there's this last definition, a slight chance. So uh, not having a prayer has become part of our vernacular. And it it has come to mean that, uh, you know, it's the situation where someone has a very small chance of actually accomplishing uh, what they set out to do. So, yeah, for, examples, uh, for example, somebody could say, uh, the Maple Leafs have, don't have a prayer to win the Stanley Cup this year. So, sorry, Maple Leafs fans, I couldn't resist. I had to get that in there. Anyway. So I was really thinking about that last definition and why has it become part of our vernacular that to not have a prayer means you don't really have a chance. Could, could it be that there are many people that doubt the effectiveness of prayer uh, out there? And are people justified in thinking that maybe prayer doesn't work? I mean, if you think about your own prayer life, has God answered all of your prayers? Has he answered some of your prayers? So I know that when I examine my life that I can say with confidence that God has not answered all of my prayers. So that's why uh, the scripture I'm going to share with you in a moment is kind of hard to digest. Um, so the scripture I'm going to share with you was written by John. Um, and John was one of the three uh, apostles that were in Jesus' inner circle with Peter and James. So he was able to witness Jesus praying himself and was taught directly by Jesus on prayer. So, uh, so I mean, he was exposed to what was going on. And this is what he wrote in 1 John Chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version this morning, just in case you're wondering. Uh, So let me find my spot. And this is what he says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So according to John, if we ask for something, we should get what we asked for. Now, Jesus himself had some very interesting things to share about prayer. And um, this is one of Jesus' teachings uh, that was recorded in the book or in the gospel of Mark. So Mark uh, chapter 11, verses 22 to 24, this is what it says. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it is yours. 
So it seems that if we ask God for something and we have enough faith, we should receive what we asked for. But again, when I think on my own experiences, as I'd mentioned before, there are many times that I have not received what I've asked for. And you know what? I imagine that this is the case for many of you as well. So why didn't, we, why didn't you or I get what we asked for? Uh, was it because of our lack of faith? Was my prayer not answered because I didn't structure it properly? Does God really answer our prayers? Why should we pray? Why should we pray? This is the question that I'm going to attempt to answer with, uh, answer this question uh, with the remaining uh, time in my message this morning. But I'm going to warn you, I'm taking a very convoluted route to get there. So if you think I've lost my way, I don't blame you, but hang in there with me, and, uh, and trust me, I will get back to this question, and I will attempt to answer it. But first, let's get on this convoluted route. Uh, I've not done much traveling in my life, especially to exotic, faraway places, unless you consider Alora or Rockwood as far and exotic. Uh, but for my 25th anniversary, uh, I was able to go to Hawaii with my wife and my two boys. And it was really a trip of a lifetime for us. We had a chance to visit two of the Hawaiian islands. We went to Maui and to Big Island. We did some crazy stuff when we were there. So when we first arrived, the first morning we were there, we went up to the top of Mount Haleakala, a 10,000-foot volcano, a non-active volcano, just to let you know, to watch the sunrise. It was uh, breathtaking. And then once the sun came up that day, we ended up paragliding right off the side of the volcano, 3,000-foot descent, partway down the mountain, and that was incredible. Uh, we had a chance to go surfing for the first time, and after about two hours of practice, I was actually able to stand up on the board and go for about 100 meters or so, and it was quite satisfying, so that was great. And we even had a chance to swim with 500-pound manta rays coming within inches of us. In fact, one of the manta rays actually touched one of my sons, and he, he kind of remarked, wow, I was really surprised that their, their wings or fins, or whatever you call it, were so solid. So, and then, of course, I mean, what would any great trip be without fantastic food? Uh, so one of my most vivid culinary memories is eating mai mai at the Paya Fish Market as we watched surfers going down to the beach with their surfer, uh, surfboards. So it was a fantastic trip. But you know what marked me the most on this trip? It was, it was none of these experiences. It was another experience that I had, and I want to share that with you now. When we were on Big Island, we found out there was a green sand beach there. And we also found out that there's only, I think, two or three green sand beaches in the entire world. So we decided we've got to get down there and visit this beach. So we drove to the southernmost tip of Big Island, or almost the furthest tip, and then we pulled in, and there was a parking lot there. And, uh, and then we realized once we were at the parking lot, we were still five kilometers away uh, from this beach. But the road leading out there was atrocious. It was the roughest road I, I've ever seen. And our car insurance, or our, our, the rental company for our car actually warned us that if we drove on this road that the insurance would be uh, void and that if there was any damages, we'd be responsible for it. So we decided to leave the car there and we, we walked the five kilometers out there. And I was really glad that we did because on the way out on our right, there was dark, black, volcanic rock that had solidified as it had poured out into the ocean and cooled, and, 
it was very windy that day, so the blue ocean was just crashing on there. The surf was coming up. The mist was kind of cooling us off a bit from the blazing sun. And then on the other side was complete calmness. On the other side of the road, it was desert-like, some dry grass. It was just kind of an amazing experience. So we walked out five kilometers. We got to the green sand beach. It was a bay with very high hills around it. So we walked down in there. We saw the green sand and thought, well, that's, that's very, very fascinating. It was very cool. And then my boys, even though the waves were way over my head, and I'm six foot three, my boys talked me into going out for a swim. So we went out there, and uh, he said, oh, let's, let's body surf on top of the waves. And I'm like, are you sure, guys? And uh, they said, yeah, we're sure. So we went out. I, we went once. We went twice. It went okay. And then I pushed my luck. So I went back out a third time. And this time, somehow, I kind of got, instead of being on top of the, wa the wave, I got caught in it. And I was spread uh, straight out, but the wave spun me around like a pinwheel, 360 degrees, and threw me on the beach. Anyway, I was all disoriented and crawled off onto the shore. Uh, Jen was looking at me, kind of laughing, wondering, what were you doing there? Uh, anyway, I recovered from that, and then we had a snack, and then we walked the five kilometers back. By then, I have to admit, we were starting to get tired a little bit, but just before we got to the parking lot, we saw a truck parked on the side of the road. This is a truck that had broken down, I guess got beat up going off on this road, and, and the owners of the truck just abandoned it on the side of the road. And the um, truck must have been there for some time because there, were, uh, grass, there was grass growing around it, and it was starting to rust. And, uh, but as we got closer to the truck, I noticed the hood of the truck was kind of propped open, and on the very end of the hood, there was a bumper sticker there. And the bumper sticker had a very interesting message on it. It said, stay humble and pray. And I think if we've resolved our tech problems here, yes, there's a picture of the truck as it was in Hawaii, and there's the bumper sticker. And I don't know what it was. This, I don't know if it was because I was tired from the walk, because I saw my life flash before my eyes in the ocean when the waves tossed me around, but for some reason, I was in a very reflective mood that day, and this short statement just struck me. Stay humble and pray. And I thought about it often during the rest of our trip, and even when we flew home, I, this, this, this expression uh, was, uh, was on my mind frequently, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why it had affected me so much. But over the last couple of years since our trip, I, I, you know, I, I've got this picture uh, taped in my journal, and I, I, it inspires me to pray, so I, I've been looking at it often. But over the course of the last couple of years, I've had a chance to think about why this is so important for me, this expression. And, I, and I've got four ideas that I've kind of built around as I've thought about this expression, and I'd like to share these four ideas with you this morning. Um, so that's where I'm going to go with this. So idea number one. You know, when we're praying, we're spending time with God. And like spending time with anybody else, we get to know that other person better. So we get to know God even better. And for me, as I get to know God better, I realize in many ways he's like those waves at the green sand beach. God is powerful. And he is in control. And I am weak and vulnerable as I certainly felt that day on the beach. So, 
you know, uh, when I started thinking about the bumper sticker and I started thinking about God's awesomeness, um, text that came to mind for me was Psalm 8. So I'm, I'm going to take a moment and read Psalm 8 for you. It's not very long. I'm going to read the, the whole thing. Written by David. Just because I think it reflects this idea so well. And this is what David said. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O, um, you have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider, consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of him? You know, I... <laughs> I ask myself that question, except I insert, who am I that you're mindful of me? But you know what? God is mindful of us, and he has crowned us with glory and honor. And this is a marvelous and humbling thing. So my first idea, idea number one, is stay humble, pray, and discover the true nature of God. Idea number two. When I'm in prayer with God, it doesn't take long for me to become aware of my shortcomings, to become aware of times when I fall short. And I think probably many of you can relate with that too because as we get to know God better, we realize just how mighty he is and that he is a just God. And we also realize that there is nothing that we can do. We are, we are helpless to justify ourselves in his eyes. But God has done the work for us. And there's a scripture that I want to share with you at this right now. It's Romans chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but a part of it. I'll start at verse 9 in a moment. That I remember reading or hearing, I didn't even read it, but I heard it for the first time when I was 21 years old in a youth group Bible study uh, back when I was in university. And uh, it was a, it, it, there were verses that really changed the course of my life and help me understand um, what my relationship was, with God is uh, much better and what God had done for me. So I'm just going to flip to Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 9. So this is what it says. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even me. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, 
We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So I remember uh, even many years ago, uh, the youth group leader saying, these verses apply to us. I was like, no, not us. And he's like, yes, us. It applies to everybody. And, and my jaw hit the ground, and it took me about three weeks to figure that one out. But thankfully, he kept reading, because uh, what, what comes next is, is just amazing. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting, it is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So there is no boasting in our righteousness because we are not justified by our own actions, but we are justified by our faith in the actions of somebody else and that somebody else is Jesus Christ. How humbling is that? So my second idea, idea number two, is stay humble, pray, and experience God's grace. Okay, so let's move on to idea number three. So when I pray, I try, and I'm putting emphasis on trying, I try to make a point of thanking God for the circumstances of my life. I find that being thankful helps me to more joyfully live my life as I try to live in an obedience to Christ, as opposed to trying to live this obedience just out of a sense of duty. But like I said, I try. It's not always easy, depending on how, how the circumstances are in our lives. It can be difficult to be grateful and thankful. Um, but there is a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll be reading from verses 16 and 18, that encourages me, and I hope could be an encouragement to you as well, to try to be thankful and grateful on a daily basis. And this is what it says. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And the other thing I want to add on to that is, what are we being thankful for? Well, everything that we have in our lives comes from God. So, so we're being thankful for the things that God has given us. And uh, I always tie First Thess Thessalonians, in my mind, into a uh, verse from James chapter 1. I'm at verse 17, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So what a humbling prospect that all good things come from God. So that's idea number three. Stay humble, pray, and be thankful for God's goodness. And now idea number four. 
Let me start off idea number four with this question. When are you most drawn to prayer? When do you tend to pray the most, to pray the hardest? You know, when I think of my life, I, I, I'd like to think that it's during those times when I'm overflowing with gratitude for God and I just want to thank Him for everything. But um, what I find is that it's usually when I'm most in need. And maybe many of you can relate to that. And, you know, I was reading through some old journals that I've kept over the past number of years, and uh, I noticed something very interesting. Without exception, my entries in my journals become more frequent, more detailed, and more urgent as I come towards the end of August. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher, so the end of August is exactly when I start ramping up for a new school year, new principal, new students, new grade, and the level of anxiety and stress starts coming up, up after you know, a few weeks of uh, kind of relaxing during the summer. So it, it's very interesting that that's when I seem to be praying the most. So, so I, I wish it was when I was grateful, but it seems to be when I'm in need. So, so what happens when we come to God with our needs, when we're feeling this anxiety, when we feel this stress? Uh, well, we've already read this morning that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Um, but like we discussed this morning, do we always get what we pray for? Why should we pray? So I told you I'd get back to this question eventually. So what happens uh, when we pray and the mountain doesn't go into the sea? It doesn't move. Well, there's a song that's called That Mountain. It was written uh, by Charlie and, and performed by Charlie Jenkins. And it, this song takes a shot at answering this question. What happens when God doesn't answer our prayers? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the, few, uh, the first few verses of the song to you and you should be grateful this morning that I'm not singing because if you've ever heard me sing, you'll understand why I'm not on the worship team. Um, but here are the first verses uh, in the song. A young bride on her knees asking God, please don't let it rain. With the groom and family outside waiting on her special day, please let the clouds blow by. Oh, give us clear blue skies, she prays. Down the road a few miles out of town, a farmer's on his knees. His crops are dying in his fields. Won't last another week. Don't let the clouds blow by. Let raindrops fill the skies, he prays. So this song uh, introduces a very interesting uh, situation. There's a bride and a farmer both praying, but for exactly the opposite things. The bride is praying for sunshine for a wedding day, and the farmer is praying, praying for rain for his crops. Both requests are noble. Both requests are sincere. And both requests are made in faith. But both requests or prayers, I'm calling them requests, prayers, cannot occur simultaneously. This is impossible. They can't happen at the same time. Because if the day is sunny, the bride will have a great wedding and everything will work out for her. But if it's sunny, then the farmer's crops will die. And if it rains, then the farmer's crops will survive, but the bride's wedding will be ruined. 
So how does God handle, how, how does he handle this? What should we expect from him? The songwriter attempts to address this question in the chorus of the song. So I'll read this part of the song for you now and ask you to listen along. Sometimes all we see is our slice of reality, but things are not as simple as they seem to be. There's times, hard as we pray, heaven has another way. And even though there's nothing faith cannot do, sometimes that mountain doesn't move. So just before I continue talking about what the song says, I just wanted to give you a bit of a context of, uh, within which the song was written. So back in 2009, Charlie Jenkins and several of his uh, musical friends, music, musician friends, were sitting around a hospital bed praying for their friend Paul Cardell, who himself was a songwriter and a musician. He was waiting for a heart transplant. If he didn't get a heart within days, he was going to die. What was very interesting about this time of prayer with his friends was that Paul at one point spoke up and said these amazing words. And I'm going to quote him here. He said, I kind of feel guilty praying for a brand new heart, knowing someone else's prayers won't get answered. So that evening after they'd finished praying, the group, all these musicians and songwriters said, you know what? When Paul gets his transplant and gets better, we're going to have to write a song about this experience. So ultimately, uh, Paul did get a transplant. He did recover. And this team of musicians was faithful to write the song. So I think because the circumstances under which this song was written are so compelling, uh, I'd like to look at these lyrics a little more closely and see what we can get out of them. So the part of the song says, sometimes all we see is our slice of reality, but things are not as simple as they seem to be. There's times hard as we pray, heaven has another way. You know, I was thinking about the words in the, this song and I think they're so true. This is why. Because even if things are not as simple as they seem to us in our slice of reality, heaven or God does have another way. And God does see our slice of reality and God does care about it. In fact, Jesus told his disciples the following when they were wondering if God knew about their needs. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, this is what Jesus told his apostles. He said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is saying we don't need to carry on about what we need because God already knows what we need and he cares about what we need. So that's very encouraging and nice. But Jesus also told his disciples a parable. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And this parable seems to have a contradictory message in it. So I'm going to read the parable for you. It's found in Luke chapter 18. And it starts right at verse 1. So listen to the parable. And let's compare it to the words that I just read that Jesus had spoken. Then Jesus told his disciples... A parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear, uh, wear me out with her coming. So on the one hand, Jesus uh, is encouraging his disciples and us by extension to be persistent in prayer. But at the same time, Jesus tells us that God already knows uh, what we need before we ask him. So if we don't need to repeat our needs to God so that he knows them, uh, so that he knows what they are and to get his attention and to let him know what we need uh, because he already knows what we need, what is the point of persisting in prayer anyway? What is all this time spent in prayer really accomplishing? Well, I'd like to go back to one of the first texts that I read to you this morning and see if we can find uh, maybe some answers to that question. So I'm going to go back to 1 John again and read what he wrote. But listen to where I put the emphasis on the text this time as I read it. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So did you catch that detail in the text? If we ask anything according to his will, so, could the purpose of being persistent in prayer not be to make our needs known, but to seek out God's will for our life? You know, Jesus models this sort of thinking and prayer for us. When he was praying in the garden, uh, the night before, or the night he was arrested and before his death on the cross. This, is, this was his prayer. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What a powerful example for us to follow. Even one of Jesus' prayers was not answered the way he had hoped for initially. He, he sincerely prayed because of the, the, the anxiety, the, 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 the weight on his shoulders. He prayed that God would not require him to go to the cross and die and then spend three days in the grave before he was raised from the dead. Jesus asked for that not to happen. But he also said, may your will be done instead of mine. And I'm thankful that God did that because, or that Jesus did that because Jesus' resurrection was the most important event in human history for you and for me. So why pray? I like what pastor and author Mark Batterson had to say about the purpose of prayer. So this is what he said. The primary purpose of prayer is not to change circumstances. The primary purpose is to change us. I'm going I'm to read it again. The primary purpose of prayer is not to change circumstances. The primary purpose is to change us. For me, that makes a lot of sense. 
Because God created, created everything and he's sovereign. So that's to say that he has the ultimate power in the universe and he is in control. So it would be foolish for me to think that I can give God his marching orders and I should be telling him what to do. Particularly from my point of view, my small slice of reality. He doesn't need our prayers to figure out what to do. But maybe we need our prayers to help us figure out what we need to do. I'm going to challenge you to look at prayer this way. God knit each one of us in our mother's wombs. It says that in Psalm 139. He created us with a unique purpose in mind. He loves us and he wants us to fulfill the purpose that he gave us for this life here. This is why he wants us to be persistent in prayer. He wants us to figure out what our purpose is, and he wants to help us to figure it out together. And he wants, us, he wants to help us to do this purpose. Our task is to do his will. God's task is to do everything else. So, in summary, idea number four is stay humble, pray, and align your will to the will of God. So, why pray, and does God answer prayer? I think it depends on what our expectations are. If we expect God to grant us everything we ask for because we have mustered enough faith and have said the right things, then I think we may be disappointed. Because sometimes all we see is our slice of reality. But things are not as simple as they seem to be. How could Paul Cardell have gotten his heart without someone else dying? What about the unanswered prayers of the family of the person who donated the heart? Prayer is not as simple as asking us or asking the God of the, of the universe for something and him granting our wish because we asked with enough faith. But there is a different way to view prayer. Stay humble, pray, and discover the true nature of God. Stay humble, pray, and experience God's grace. Stay humble, pray, and be thankful for God's goodness. Stay humble, pray, and align your will to the will of God. If we see the role of prayer as a way to discover the true God of the universe in a deeper way, if we see the role of prayer as a way to receive grace when we make mistakes, if we see the role of prayer as a way to bring joy to our lives through gratefulness, and if we see the role of prayer as a way to align our will with the will of God, then I think we will see that God will abundantly answer our prayers. Thank you.